Hi, this is Heather Bonham, and you're listening to the Midlife Best Podcast, and this is episode 064. Today, on episode 64, we're going to talk about ideas. Are there no new ideas? But before we get started, I'd like to remind you that you can always reach me by email, and it's heather at midlifebest.com. So, let's talk about Marie Kondo for a minute. Have you been watching the Netflix series? Have you read her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, um, or her other book, Spark Joy? I have watched part of the series. I bought the book. I also got the audiobook um, of The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Haven't done anything yet, but it's kind of inspiring and it's interesting. And I like the stories about people who really do declutter and get rid of tons and tons of stuff. And probably literally tons, because it's like a lot of stuff. It probably is over 2,000 pounds um, for some of these people. I We have been in our house, I think it's nine years. So as the kids have grown, yeah, we do have a lot of stuff. And I probably do need to get rid of it. Now, we do get a dumpster every year or two and get rid of stuff. But even then, we just have a lot. And so I, I like watching people throw away hundreds of bags of junk or give it away, um, donate clothes, and then they're supposedly, their lives are changed because they've decluttered. But I didn't realize that Marie Kondo was kind of in the middle of this controversy right now. So here's the controversy. The controversy is that there's this um, celebrity organizer in Los Angeles, and she's been a famous organizer apparently for 25, 30 years, and she's, um, I'm looking at a news article that called her the Beverly Hills Organizer. She's been on TV, she is organized for celebrities, and her name is Linda Coopersmith. Now, Linda Coopersmith, apparently in these news articles that I was reading this week, she's very upset because she says that some of what Marie Kondo is promoting is including this very special way of folding your clothing. Linda Coopersmith says she came up with this idea and Marie Kondo stole it. And Marie Kondo is not a better organizer, but she just has better marketing. And so that Marie Kondo essentially is doing what any other organizer does, except she's too extreme and she's making people throw away things um, or encouraging them to throw away things they really don't want to. And that she has stolen this idea from Linda Coopersmith about a way to fold your clothing so that it all stands up so that when you pull open a drawer, you can see all of the t-shirts or pairs of underwear or socks or whatever. So... I did not know that this was controversial. I also did not know that someone can claim to have thought of a way of folding clothing and then say, you know, that's my way. Now, if Marie Kondo did get ideas and didn't give credit, I think it's a gray area, to be honest. And that's what I wanted to talk about this week, because in teaching, as with probably almost every other profession, um, we share ideas. But especially in any type of creative profession, people do heavily borrow from each other. And sometimes it goes too far. 
And when does it go too far? And are there really any new ideas or are we all just recycling the same types of things? So, you know, you can get very basic. You can say, hey, there are a certain number of notes on a piano. There are a certain number of colors in a certain brand of paint. Um, You know, there are a certain number of whatever it is and the creative person has to mix and match those those notes of music or those colors of paint in a completely unique and different way. But the truth is, I don't think that most of the time, I don't think that we do things creative um, that are just entirely different. Sometimes we do. Certainly there are, are styles of painting that you can look at and you can say, wow, that looks like a Monet. Wow, that really, you know, that looks like Sal- Salvador Dali you know, uh, dripping clocks. And you can look at, uh, Andy Warhol, those famous candle Campbell's soup can kind of paintings or the Marilyn Monroe with the four different pictures of her on a painting. And yeah, those are unique and very specific styles. But when it comes to ideas, when it comes to books, you know, this is something that's been in the court different times with music, with lyrics, or with a melody, where someone says, I came up with that, and it's my idea, and someone else took it. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think sometimes it happens. And then sometimes, I don't know if it's, con- I don't know if it's intentional, or if it's accidental and subconscious. So is it conscious Or is it subconscious when these things happen? You know, I talked in episode 61 of this podcast about starfish and how it is a really meaningful story, but it's a poem or people have have shortened it down into a poem. And the interesting thing is they often don't give credit. They've changed it all around. And now it's almost kind of in the the public consciousness without anybody realizing or without a lot of people realizing that it's an excerpt from a book and really, you know, where it came from in the first place. Another interesting place, and this is a very popular, very common poem called Footprints in the Sand. And now I'm looking at Wikipedia, so I will give them the credit, um, but I'm going to read a little bit about this poem. So A lot of you know this poem. It's on t-shirts. It's on wall hangings. It's on, I used to have a little journal and it was on the front cover of the journal. And the, the crux of the story is that someone was walking on the beach. They had been having a hard time there. They were crying out to God for help. And they look back and they see there's one set of footprints in the sand And they say, well, God, where were you when I needed you? Why did you leave me alone? And God says, and this is, believe me, I'm paraphrasing this, but God says, oh, or Jesus says, oh, no, that you weren't walking alone. That's when I was carrying you. And it's so sorry about my voice. It's very, it's a very meaningful poem. And it is a poem that I think has helped a lot of people. But There is an argument about who wrote this poem and where it came from. So now I'm looking at Wikipedia and it says the authorship of the poem is disputed with a number of people claiming to have written it. So uh, there are three or four different people 
that they talk about in here, but then it says uh, there was actually a lawsuit in 2008 that a dozen people had claimed credit for the poem. And there are people who I believe kicking and screaming will go down fighting forever saying they're the ones who, uh, who have the rights to this poem. And <clears throat> sorry, my voice is getting terrible, but let me get some water and I'll be right back. So sorry. I hate it when that happens on the podcast. So I have to click stop and get water and then come back, but I, I'm not going to re-record. I don't like to do that unless I absolutely have to. So anyway, so there are these people who truly seem to believe. Now, maybe they're lying, but I, I think that would be kind of weird and ironic to lie about a religious poem, wouldn't it? I'm not putting it past people, but I'm just saying there's a woman who claims that she wrote it when she was six years old. Um, there's someone who also claims that they wrote it um, in 1936. I, I don't know. And how can that be proven? How can it be proven that only one person had an idea or that maybe somehow more than one person thought of the same thing? I don't know. Now, the exact same poem, I find that hard to believe. But ideas, I think that we do share ideas as human beings. Something triggers an idea and we run with it. And the other person also had some kind of a trigger that gave them the same idea. And it doesn't mean that we're stealing each other's ideas. But yet we're all really worried about ideas, especially creative people. And I find that interesting. I've heard people uh, even call in and or write into Dan Miller on his 48 Days podcast. And I reference Dan Miller a lot here because I think he's terribly wise and I've learned a lot from listening to him and studying his books over the past 10, 12 years. And it's been really interesting to me. Um, people will, will say to him, what do I need to do to copyright my work so someone else doesn't steal my work? And he says, you know, your work, again, I'm not an attorney, but Dan says, and I, I believe it's true, your work is automatically copyrighted. So when you write something it's yours. Now, I've seen websites, and a good example is Zen Habits by Leo, I'm sorry if I say his name wrong, Babauta, B-A-B-A-U-T-A. Leo specifically has an uncopyright on his website. And he says, even his books that he's written, he says, I am essentially, he says, I'm letting anyone use this as they see the need to use it. Please give me credit for the work that I've written, but I give up legal copyright. And he puts that all over his website. Um, but other people, before they talk about a business deal or they want to hire somebody, they want people to sign a non-disclosure. And I kind of understand it in certain ways. Like if you were a biomedical researcher or a doctor and you were going to go work for this company that has some kind of a cure but they don't want it leaked out yet because it hasn't been tested and they're not sure if it's going to kill people or save people. They want you to sign a non-disclosure. I kind of understand that, but that's still not a new, um, I, it's not really a new idea in a way. It's just something they're testing. Maybe it is new, but 
it took a team. I don't think that um, in those circumstances, it's, it's, that's not what I'm really talking about in terms of stealing ideas. Um, because yes, maybe they're in business ways that would happen. Somebody has a proprietary thing, but they also have this big responsibility. Um, you know, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. But Dan on his, on his podcast, his take in terms of writing or in terms of business, he says the person who takes action is really the person who should have the right, the right really to do something. And if a bunch of people are, are sitting around and one person goes, yeah, I should open a pizza restaurant down on Main Street. You know, they used to have a pizza restaurant there 30 years ago. Uh, the people retired and moved to Florida. The restaurant closed. And gosh, we've, we haven't had good pizza here since. Now, that is not something we say in New York, by the way, because we have a lot of good pizza everywhere. But you might live in the middle of small town somewhere and you think, gosh, you're sitting around with your friends and you're like, we used to have a pizza place. We don't. And one of us should really open up that place. Now, everybody agrees. Everybody talks about it. But the person who said it doesn't do it. But one of those other friends goes home and says, you know, I really think we, we should open a pizza place down on Main Street. Man, everybody used to love it when we were all in high school. And he goes and he does it. Should the first friend be mad? Well, I think it depends on your, on your interpretation. If I said, hey, we should open a pizza place and I'm going to do it. And my friend went and did it a week before I could get the contracts or get the, the bank to do it. Yeah, I would be mad because I would feel like they went behind my back a little bit because I was going to do it. But if I said it and I took no action whatsoever and I didn't do it, well, then probably that person has every right to be the person to take action because action is what makes things work. Years and years and years ago, it was even before we were married. So it's got to be 24, 25 years ago. My husband used to talk about how he knew there was a way. There had to be a way to send satellite radio into cars, but he did not know the mechanics of how that could be done. And he didn't have a way to build it and test it and figure it out. But he would say that as a person who worked in that industry, he would say, I know this could happen. And this would be because we had satellite TV. Satellite TV was already a thing, but satellite radio was not a thing. And when it finally came out and it really worked and it was great and people liked it and were willing to pay subscription for this thing called satellite radio, he said, I knew that would work. It drives, it drives him nuts sometimes. He said, I knew that would work, but I just didn't, couldn't do it. But he has no claim to that. It was a great idea. But other people clearly had the idea too. And it's not like he told people when they stole his idea. It's that other people got the same idea, but they had the means. They had the money, the backing, the engineering, the capacity to build those types of receivers and to make it all work and go through the federal communications, you know, with the government regulations and all of that. So we have it now, but yeah, he mentioned so long ago before we had ever heard anyone mention anything about it. He said, I think this should happen and I think it should work, but it was just an idea, but it was an idea without action. 
And when Dan Miller talks about that, he says the person who takes action, that's really the person who's doing it. Other people can talk about it all they want, but if they haven't done anything, then do they really have a claim to it? Now, legally, there might be times when they do. Someone might file a patent. Someone might get a trademark. And then they do own it. So you have to be careful. But a lot of times, these are just ideas. And it's like Shakespeare, where so many things that are written reflect a story that Shakespeare already wrote. It might not be a retelling. It might not be exact in the storyline. But, you know, two young people who love each other and they want to be together, but the world is trying to pull them apart and their families don't love each other. Well, yeah, is that Romeo and Juliet or is it West Side Story? Or is it a more modern version because there have been many, many, many of them? I don't know that you can try to get a completely new idea. Maybe sometimes it happens organically and it's just meant to be. But a lot of times I think our ideas come from what we study. And we soak up songs and books and all kinds of of media and other influences. But I will say this. If you want to have good ideas, I think the best way is to surround yourself with other good ideas. So as someone who likes to write, sure, I like to read. If you're a musician and you're an artist, surround yourself with great ones and learn from them. Most people who are successful have had good mentors. But as a teacher, in addition to loving writing, I have learned so much. It's immeasurable from other teachers. From other teachers I've taught with, sometimes sharing a classroom because I've done a lot of co-teaching. I've counted and and I've forgotten. I think I've had about eight different co-teachers at different times. So from co-teachers, from faculty mentors, I've had a couple of different mentors at different schools where I've worked and, and those mentors have spent time with me and sat down and talked about things with me. But I've certainly learned a lot from administration as well. And as much as teachers and administrators sometimes have frustrations with each other, I will tell you that I'm very grateful for what I've learned and suggestions that I've gotten and tips that I've gotten that really have helped me in my day-to-day life in the classroom. And by surrounding myself with people who, and not necessarily always by choice, because I haven't always had a choice for the people of the people who I've worked with. Some have been better than others, but some have been really good at what they do. And boy, I've soaked it up. And and then you don't even remember where you got those ideas. If someone said to me, well, how did, where exactly did you learn X, Y, and Z about the classroom? You know, how, how did you learn how to deal with a certain situation? I probably wouldn't even remember, to be honest, a lot of times. Well, which teacher, which great teacher did I get this idea from? Sometimes I remember and, and other times it just has become so natural. It's something that I've absorbed and it's soaked up and it's like it's become part of me now. And so that's become natural for me, but it's because I learned it somewhere else if that makes sense. Um, You know, that's kind of why we find ourselves doing things that remind us of our parents sometimes or other family members because you soak it up and then it becomes part of you. So I think great ideas, whether they're brand new ideas or not, 
a lot of times they come from the people we surround ourselves with. And it's a famous old Jim Rohn quote about how we become like the five people that we spend the most time with. But I think the takeaway from all this, at least for me, is that whatever I want to be good at, I need to find people who are good or were good if they're people who died a long time ago, but find those people and learn as much as I can from them and spend more time either reading what they've written. I just dropped my keys. You probably heard that. Um, Either they fell off my lap. It's okay. Either reading what they've written or if it's someone who publishes videos or someone who has audio as much as you can soak in from masters, from people with great ideas, I think it will encourage the production of more great ideas, even if they're not completely new and not completely original. And we're not trying to steal ideas and not give people credit because that's not cool. Don't do that. But certainly taking what they have and building with it, you know, taking their Legos and making a new Lego structure with it, if that makes sense. So new ideas, maybe some, but a lot of the ideas we have, we're getting from other great people. So the goal is just to make sure we're getting ideas from the right people and building on that. So I hope you have a very wonderful and creative week and I'll talk to you again soon.